Hi everybody and welcome to the first edition of Don't Shoot the Deputies in 2019. It's really, really good to be back after a long spell of not doing any podcasts. Uh, you're joined once again by my good friend and former colleague, Steve. Hello everybody. And uh, me, Russell. It's really good to be back guys and we thought we would launch the new year by having a bit of a chat about some of the concerns that people might have going into the new um, year. But before we do that, Steve, you were really late along to this podcast tonight. I've been waiting like half an hour. Where on earth have you been? Yes, yeah, sorry mate. I was just busy prepping my tree climbing lesson for tomorrow. Ah, I see. If you didn't get the joke, Steve was making a hilarious reference there (laughs) to the DFE's new activity passport uh, release, which they've kindly uh, done over the Christmas holidays. What do you make of it all, Steve? I think it was a Christmas present that everyone was waiting for, if I'm honest. Uh, What a beauty of a gift. Yeah, um, maybe a touch of irony in the fact that most of us are already doing this work, but it's nice for the DFE to notice that and maybe try to formalise it in a way that we can't. Yeah, I mean, can you tell me where in your current curriculum children are dressing up as superheroes? <laughs> Just have to walk into an EYFS lesson, or even up to year six when we're doing t- timetable rock stars to know that we are all superheroes at heart. I'm pleased to say you're Ofsted ready, Steve. Well done. <laughs> well, thank uh, you. Excellent work. Well, we've had a tweet tonight, guys, go a bit crazy all about this with us uh, uh, mocking this. I think, look, no one's got an issue with the fact that our government has finally realised that the curriculum which they've narrowed and narrowed the assessment of has led to children having a narrowed experience of school life in some cases and therefore deciding that we need to broaden that back out again and make Uh, life and learning a bit more fun but those Mm. of us that are passionate about education have kind of like you say they've been trying to keep uh, an element of entitlement and joy to the curriculum anyway haven't we yeah and I think um, it's as if someone's looked at the uh, Scandinavian model of education actually and then gone let's take one percent of that and just put it into our curriculum and see how it goes Uh, yeah it's a a stepping stone if anything so let's not knock them too hard because they are actually listening to the fact that we need to broaden our horizons on the curriculum front anyway. I think it's just the way messages are delivered, aren't they, that get our (laughs) backs up so bad. I mean, none of us have got an issue with wanting to get out more and do more of those things, and children deserve entitlements. But boy, like, over the Christmas holidays, just (laughs) randomly sent out, and it puts all our backs up, because we all you know sit there on our phones thinking how much did this cost to do this press release and you know spend the time compiling these lists and then why send it at that particular time and I think we're just we're just a bit sick of the the poor communication with any government initiative really aren't we yeah absolutely that is the timing and the way it was delivered and the fact it come out of nowhere yeah it must have been rumbling in the background for quite some time Mm. Uh, and it's kind of just here you go have it on a plate and do what you want with it yeah well guys don't start your new year depressed about the activity passport like i say we we joked on twitter tonight about uh how it might be assessed and a few people commented this would be uh funny if it wasn't for the fact that companies are probably going to have a go <laughs> at it and actually my tweet where I, I i mock um some of the activities and put them into working towards expected and greater depth did in fact get inspired by a company that had already popped up trying to uh, sell spreadsheets to people in terms of tracking this activity passport so it's uh it's a genuine concern from everyone but i say let's carry on doing what we think is right for children and not spend too much time worrying about it so this was a podcast designed to be about concerns, Steve, and we put a 
posts out on Facebook and Twitter asking for them. And uh, please say there are plenty of concerns out there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we don't want to do lip service to any of them. So we've picked a, a few of the core things that came up over and over again, and we're just going to go into those a little bit. Um, I mean, linked to that activity passport thing, Steve, there was a, a load of people talking about um, tech and the dangers of children being stuck indoors at home all the time on that. Yeah, and I know I, I lead Key Stage 2, so that's where I hear about it so much. And Fortnite is the dreaded word. Um, but sometimes you just have to embrace these things. But we're going to talk about it in a lot more detail in our up-and-coming podcast. And we're actually really lucky that we're going to be joined by ICT with Mr. P. So um, thanks in advance for that. But we will talk about it more and talk about the e-safety element and getting the parents on board and how to tackle it as a school. Because yeah. I think people are right in... Some people, the F word is Fortnite. Mm. And in other schools, they really promote jumping into learning by exploring through gaming. And uh, ourselves at my own school, we um, use Minecraft, Roblox and mm. Fortnite. We have displays on all these elements uh, mm. in a way to engage the children. So there's a fine balance and it's how you approach it and having the parents on board and the children knowing why are we using it and the actual impact so we're going to go into a lot more detail in our next podcast yeah excited to get mr p um on for that one and really explore it because he's the man that really knows his stuff on that stuff so that'll be good so let's launch into the next main area so steve we had quite a few come up where people express kind of concerns about their leaders um Mm. would it be fair to say those concerns perhaps fell into two categories so there were those that were really worried about the kind of health or well-being of their heads or their Yes, so perhaps yes. they've had time off or they don't seem quite right. And then there was perhaps those that brought into question, not in a, in, a, in a nasty way, they kind of said it very confidentially to us that they had some concerns about actually just the decision making of their leaders at the moment mm. or perhaps mm. some of the things that were going on above them that they felt really out of control of. Do you want to say anything more about some of the things that came your way on Facebook? Yeah, I mean, I think you've really picked up the fine elements there, but we're looking at situations where perhaps a head has gone off on long-term sick, uh, leaving you in charge as part of your SLT responsibility whilst also having a class responsibility. Uh, so we've got the well-being element there where the leadership is just not well enough to be performing the job, mm. um, putting on the additional workload and pressures that come with that to the uh, leaders below that yeah. on, on the flip side we've got the the feeling of feeling a bit de-skilled demotivated mm. because your leaders are just not delivering the message it perhaps you feel should be delivered or what's needed for the school and being a very strong leader at the top because at the end of the yeah. day you're only as good as your weakest member but you're only as good as your your leader in the sense of their vision yeah. and their enthusiasm power really drives the school, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So let's start with that first one then, Steve, about more more related to the health and well-being. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people out there that could probably think of a head they've worked for or known who at their best is awesome, mm. that is dynamic, that is passionate and somewhere along the way and they're feeling very under the cosh and they've, they've lost touch with their own well-being and it's really starting to impact on them so it's not an actual question of kind of their competency or their skill level it's actually about their wellness isn't it and you know what are your thoughts on that Steve like what advice would you give to people that are working with um, heads that are in that kind of situation where perhaps they've gone off ill because their well-being or they're in school but they're really struggling well I think it's always good to talk Um, you're never alone and whilst there is the saying that it gets lonelier as you move up the the ladder at school mm. um you've got a feel for the actual um head teachers in this situation who are 
the, some head teachers put the pressure on themselves to be the first one in and last one out every day. Yeah, that's not necessary. You don't have to do that. Yes, be vis- uh, visible to the school. Yeah, but you don't have to bust the gut to that extent. There's the mm. If you actually delegate a responsibility and you give everyone autonomy to work together as a team, that's how it works better. But in the situation where the head's gone off sick, for example, uh, governors are your closest allies, best friends. You're doing a favour in terms of helping out the leadership of the school. So do talk to the governors. Um, Maybe have issues if it's a weaker governing body than perhaps would be fair but then you then you look down the other avenues with your school improvement partner yeah the sip your governors that's a good way to share problems and you know what by talking through it you actually can share the load on and weight off your shoulders and look at look at what the options are out there and find out the best one for you it's all very individualized yeah i think you make a really good point there Stephen. i think for lots of heads, I don't think they really realise the impact their well-being has on staff. I think they um, kind of sense that if they're not in a good place, it might have an effect. But I don't think they, I think for some heads, they underestimate just how, you know, how powerful them being in a good state of mind or not such mm. a good state of mind has on their staff. And I think it's just worth heads being aware that, you know, you set the kind of tone for that school culture, don't you? And if you walk in looking deflated and, and really showing that anxiety, um, that's going to be picked up on. And it's not to say you can't feel those things. I think we all deserve permission to feel a bit down or whatever, but I think it's just not trying to um, hold on to it all yourself like a big ball all the time because then it does come out through snappy comments and negative body language and people really pick up mm. on that, don't they? I think it's that internalisation. Like mm. that's, that's really damaging to the school. And whilst you might be feeling the pressure and think, look, I can, do, I can get through this myself, I can then raise the bar myself. Yeah, it, It's looking so insular that you're actually missing the big picture of the school and how actually your well-being is pivotal, as is everyone else's, to performing well as a school. And yeah. it'll, it'll eventually rub off on the, the staff, it'll rub off on the children, it'll rub off on the parents. Definitely. You, you want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, it's that whole thing, isn't it, of, um, you know, in, in the aim of protecting your staff and your children from your own stresses, you actually expose them to it more in, in a kind of mm. ironic way. So there's there's that kind of onus on heads to to kind of recognize where they're at and be a little bit more open about it not feel that it's a sign of weakness to 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 say you're not having the best day or or that you're struggling or to lean on those other leaders around you a little bit but then I think there's also a responsibility don't you think on the other staff in the school to to pick their head up I think sometimes there's this because you know I can remember feeling it at times in my careers, you're being paid so much less than this person. And you kind of think, well, <laughs> you know, they're in that job to, to, to have to cope with this stuff, but they are mm. still human. And actually, yes, they are in that job because they've got certain um, experience and, you know, a certain skill set. but actually they will thrive if their team is behind them and picking them up. I know it's a two way thing, but yeah. um, I think, like you said, it's, it can be very lonely as a head. And I think for certainly that little wave of leadership closest to the head, for them to be open with them and talk to them and say, look, go home tonight. You know, we won't, we're not going to um, you know, resent you if you go home a bit early tonight. Or, you know, don't miss that family event. It's important that you do that as well. You know, um, mm. I think that's, that's really important for a head or, or realising they can be out of the building for a couple of hours and the whole place won't, um, you know, fall to pieces. <laughs> it's that 
it, it is a very much a two-way thing. I recognise that, but I think the more we can do to big our heads up and to also compliment them and tell them what they do well, and you know, actually, that was a great assembly this morning, or you know, you really put a smile on the kids' faces today. I think that kind of thing really, really picks heads back up, don't you think? I think that goes for a lot of stuff, actually, Russell. Sure. Yeah, um, the little things actually mean a lot. So yeah. whether it is saying something like, "Oh, it's really great how you interacted with them children," there, it's lovely to see them smile delivering something as simple as an assembly hmm. just to know that you can do the basics well yeah uh, it gives you inner confidence and that can go a long way actually so yeah. in terms of well-being picking up everyone by just little comments like that means yeah. a lot and I know for me as a deputy, Steve, I wonder whether you feel the same, but something that's really good for my well-being is feeling welcome in classes. And I'm, I'm really yes. lucky at the moment that my teachers are great for that. But, you know, things like, you know, inviting me in and, you know, do I want to read them a story or whatever it makes. It's really good for my well-being because it connects me back with what I'm doing it all for. And it's easy in our positions to yeah. be a bit distant from that, isn't it? I think there's no better feeling than when you walk into a classroom and you're not expecting everyone to stand up or go, hi, hi, hi. You don't want to hype up the children too much, but having a teacher see you come in and they smile and they welcome you into there, it gives that team bond, doesn't it? And the children can really uh, reciprocate that. It really does. I, I love that feeling when I'm welcomed into a classroom. It's, it's great for my own well-being as well as the children, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So there's the well-being and health element. And, you know, we've touched on a few things that might help there. But then there's the much more awkward issue in a sense of what if actually you feel that there's something incompatible about you and the leaders, leader or leaders above you. And there's something about the culture of the school. There's something about their maybe even their competency you know you look at them and you think I don't actually respect your skill set and that can sometimes happen unintentionally where you've gone into a school originally working for one head and there's been a change of leadership and you found yourself working for someone that you wouldn't necessarily have chosen to uh, work for originally um Mm. any advice for people then Steve (sighs) that is where you need to talk to people because sometimes you're in the right place at the wrong time and uh Mm. That can happen for various reasons, such as a head getting signed off long-term sick uh, when they were there and you originally joined the school because they were your head then and you were inspired by them, they go off. Uh, Talking to consultants, talking to um, staff, you should always have a person's care. Your chair of governors could be amazing as a person to talk to. Okay. um, Because you don't want to try and keep this vulnerable school afloat alone. I think there's a lot of teachers that wouldn't think to do that, Steve. What advice would you give to them about approaching a chair of governors? I think for them, if they can't talk to the rest of the SLT, and they, they should go to the chair of governors, but you've got to realise it's not always an attack on a person. You're not being personal to this person. You've got the serious concerns of the school. Uh, the toxicity will soon spread. If you don't do it, you're doing it for the goodness of the children there, first and foremost. And you've got to look at the bigger picture of so why you have these concerns. What is the impact the concerns are having on the school itself? Mm. and what steps can actually be taken because it might well be that you're just not the right fit for the school and the school's not the right fit for you anymore and it could be that you have to look further afield to keep your career going the way you want it to go yeah I mean I know so many really great teachers and leaders that just Mm. through a bit of misfortune and change you know have found themselves like you say right place wrong time and um you know have found themselves in a position where their actually job's really not very enjoyable anymore and it's not their fault it wasn't directly because of any of their decisions and actually sometimes there is a place for saying actually I need to put my own well-being first now and start looking um and you you know there's that whole long-term plan versus short-term plan and I think 
sometimes when you're in that situation where you have to tolerate a lot out of your control that you don't like, it's about looking at, well, what can I do well for myself? How can I best prepare myself for the next role that I would like? Um, and I used to, when I've given people advice about this in the past, I've always used the phrase kind of success story. What success story are you going to build for yourself now mm. that you're going to tell the next employer? So you might be in a school where God, leaders are really under the caution. They're not they're not uh, leading you in a way that you enjoy anymore. But despite that, what you didn't allow it to do was ruin your own professionalism and your own growth. What you did is you focused on the goals that you could achieve. And here's, here's the impact you had within your bubble, whether that be your phase or your team or your class. And then, and then be ready to talk about that to the next employer who, who, who you can't wait to work for. Absolutely. And I think if, if you're a member of SLT and you've got serious doubts about your head, keeping a diary of what you are doing and the impact you are having on the school is a vital little tool. So if anyone come in, visitors, uh, officers, for example, or, or the chair of governors, you can say, look, I have my concerns. This is how the school's running, but this is what I am doing. And this is the impact of what I am doing is having on the school. And if that's positive, then they're going to see you in a very good light. Yeah, and it's interesting because you talk about the benefit of something like that for exterior people, but I imagine that might actually also be good for your own sanity, you know, to actually to make it keep a bit of a diary of you know mm. what am I doing well because I think I've I've definitely been there in the past where actually your confidence starts to just crumble a little bit because you're not in that positive culture anymore and you're not seeing the mm. real culture of well-being you can start to doubt yourself so being um, still writing down those little successes even when you've got through to that one child today or you know progress you've seen in someone's writing or the way you helped a, a fellow team member I think that's crucial and I think if you are interested in going down the leadership route, having some experience of um, going through tricky times but growing through it is absolutely key. And um, you know, Stu Newbury, who we had on one of our last podcasts, who has coached me for the last few years, he would always say to me, "What you're doing now, Russell, is preparing you for what's ahead." And I always think that's a really positive way of looking at things. Is whatever I'm going through now is preparing me for the future is preparing me to be a better deputy or whatever it might be in the future. And I think that's a, a nice message to hold on to. Um, yeah. Steve, should we, should we move on from the, the struggling leadership? And um, one of the things that also came up a lot was the issue of even tighter funding and um, how that's hitting schools. And um, you and I were talking the other day, weren't we about the documentary school and you know, what did you make of all that? <clears throat> enough to make you cry isn't it really when you see the struggles of good people um and the fact that to a degree outsiders are setting our own budgets and they're cutting our budgets and is when you see the real reality of what's going on yeah you compare your own school to the situation you see on the tv but um, i really felt for everyone involved there you know uh <laughs> i mean the head teacher eventually left i could not have felt more empathy for him yeah. Because it, there's a man there who just wants to do the very best for children. Yeah. And every step of the way is getting something taken away from him. He's got difficulties with the staff. The behavior yeah. was getting worse. It's a, it's a natural pattern, isn't it? And yeah, until we can address it in some degree, yeah. we're always going to have that struggle. Yeah. And there, for the sake of this podcast, Steve, I mean, there are two things we really wanted to pick up on when we were chatting this through earlier. And the first is this is look, we can't magic up more money for you. So we're not going to be able to give you any brilliant advice about that. And we're also not business managers, but it helps to have a good one, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but, but one thing that school documentary really did bring home for me was the moral dilemma of who 
is affected first by um, by the funding cuts. And yes. actually, where do I sit with that as a teacher or as a leader responsible for budgets? Um, and I think what we saw in that documentary was while everyone was trying to do their best for the children and make wise choices, some of those cuts hit the most vulnerable children with special mm-hmm. educational needs first. And I'm just going to say, I'm not okay with that. I'm really not okay with that. I'm not okay with the most vulnerable people in our society being hit first by funding cuts. And I think 100%. we need our leaders to be brave and say, no, I'm not okay with that either. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, I'm not going to go, oh, it's just funding, never mind. I'm going to say, no, they're the people I'm going to protect first when I think about budgets. And I know that's really easy for me to say because some people are really, really tight in terms of their budgets. But we have a moral decision to make about whether we're all right with that. And I think they yeah. too easily, in some of those aspects of the documentary, uh, took things away that affected those children first. And who did it affect first? It, it, it affected the staff around those children who were then absolutely mortified that they weren't going to be able to meet those needs. And suddenly you had that really lovely pastoral guy who had been in the school. Oh, yeah, years. I know. He had to he was, leave. He was oh. one of the first to go. And for me... Yeah. He had the experience what, there as well. Yeah. That was that was the heart being ripped out of the school there for me, which was which was a sad thing to watch. So, so there's the budget bit there for me um, around who you who you decide are going to be affected first and making some moral decisions. I'm not saying that's easy. Me and my head are constantly having chats about God, like how do we meet this need? And but then um, as well as well as that, I kind of think when when I'm in a position as a leader where there's bits out of my control, i.e. the amount of money the government decides to give me, I find it really comforting to focus on the things that I can. Um, effect and I can change and I can improve and for me I mean we've said it in every podcast we've talked about but that's well-being don't you think it is and it's thinking about when the budget is being cut time and time again we have to think about the retention of our staff what we're doing for our staff we're we're simply demanding more from our staff because there is no option sometimes yeah but if you can deliver that with a sense of goodwill and that we will look after you and we'll care about your well-being, you're not simply an employer, you're not a teacher at our school just as a number or a figure, you are there to be part of a team and a good team that's focused on the well-being of our children and our staff. Mm. You can get, you get to places a lot quicker and a lot better. Well, I think it's something really inspiring in leaders who might have a difficult Ofsted rating on their backs, who might have uh, difficult funding situations in front of me and they say, but despite all that, we're going to do what's right for our children. We're going to stick to our guns and we're going to work together. We're going to pull together um, and we're not going to let those situations rip us apart. We're going to actually unite and we're going to we're going to really think about how we can keep this curriculum as exciting and positive for children as possible. I just think teachers working for, for heads and deputies and other leaders like that, that are willing to hold on to that positive vision of, well, hope, I suppose, despite all those funding cuts. I think that's awesome, don't you? absolutely do i mean education is tough there's no two ways about it and it's going to get tougher because the cut is going to keep coming but if you're right if you're working in a an environment like that is an awesome feeling to feel part of a team that's really really fighting back against what we have to come up against so yeah hats off to everyone who's doing that and we have a we know we work with teachers every day who have this mindset and it's it's a show of appreciation for our teachers and our our staff because they deserve it thoroughly definitely a massive respect to any teacher working in any provision across the country that is facing difficult cuts and still digging in deep and doing what's right for children i think that's amazing and i think Mm. we've learned a hard lesson actually with the whole changes to assessment and all this craziness around the activity passport which is that (laughs) 
some schools did compromise on their values and their beliefs and narrowed their curriculum and whatnot because they thought they just had to play a game and it kind of sucked the life out of the school and the heart out of the school and the enjoyment of teaching. And the irony of all that is the government realised that's awful and have told them to go back to an enriching curriculum anyway. So I kind of think those schools that manage to dig in deep and stick to their moral compass are the ones that will ride these storms constantly anyway. You know, education's going to keep doing this for as long as we live and while government tell us how things are going to work. So actually, if we mm. can stick to our guns about, right, be really principled educators that say this is what we want our schools to be like then we'll ride the storms of whatever comes but it's not easy the funding cuts have got ridiculous in places and uh, you know affecting certain local authorities or trusts um, more than others um, I think there's nothing sadder Russell just to add that mm. we work with three to 11 year olds and it's knowing what curriculum suits them best is mm. not simply the core subjects is it and it's letting yeah. everyone flourish in their own right and it's when you look at secondary schools at the moment there's a few around our way that we find out they're they're completely scrapping drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cutting back on the uh, physical education that they can meet at certain levels, GCSE and uh, A yeah. levels, by taking away that essence of a character. Yeah, it's a sad situation to be in. So, yeah. well, they're basically, we're, you know, it's that whole stripping out things that I can't see instant impact on in a spreadsheet. Yeah. And that happened in that school documentary with that lovely teacher that was trying to do some enrichments for pupil premium boys in year yeah. seven and eight that mm. was about building confidence and pointing them back to their resilience. And you could see it was having some impact, but there was nothing measurable. In no, and that's it. It's invisible, isn't it? it? So. It's invisible. And the, uh, the only time you're going to see it is in long term data aren't you it's that long game and I think you know I, I want to be the kind of leader that plays the long game um, and that's Absolutely. not that's not easy and you don't always look the most impressive where some some leaders do play that very short term thing get the um, results yeah mm. and 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 they'll get it in any way and then the sim and then the kind of symptoms are ugly later on aren't they when behavior mm. really starts to slip and people don't enjoy working there anymore and i think there's a lot of people out there listening that can relate to that so let's stick to our principles people let's be the kind of educators our kids need so <laughs> steve last one um um which is a little lighter but it's just that people have shared around um kind of their worries for the new year is just like the spinning plate game of curriculum <laughs> and priorities and it, it's not really so much a funding one it's probably more of a time one around yeah god you know like we've got such a lot to fit in there's still the same rigor expectations in maths and english and everything how do i still have a curriculum that you know has all the coverage while being engaging uh while uh being effective you know mm -hmm. any tips from your experience that you would reflect <laughs> on not to give in. Uh, I've seen and worked with other people in the local area who, whose leadership puts so much pressure on the amount of literacy, amount of maths that needs to be in a book. And, it, and they start to question themselves, does every maths lesson really need to be in the book? No, it doesn't. Um, should I drop PE in the afternoons to do additional literacy tasks? No, you don't. Mm. Uh, you've really got to, it comes back to acknowledging that broad and balanced curriculum and that children learn in different ways. And, Literacy can be incorporated through any medium from history, geography, computing, uh, PE, everything. So it's being wise about what you're doing. Uh, it's knowing the outcomes that they need to get to at the end, but thinking our children need to be balanced and they need to have a plethora of experiences, not yeah. simply shoehorned into just literacy and maths. Yeah, and I'm really glad you mentioned English and maths because I think I've seen a lot of models in schools where 
the afternoons become the uh, the constant spinning door of kids going in and out um, to do extra interventions for maths and English. And while I know there's a place for interventions, I'm a really big fan of, of the kind of pre-teach or the um, sneak peek approach of children getting a little uh, initial insight into the subject matter they're going to be taught that day so that they're kind of ahead of the game before they start. And mm-hmm. I'm also a big fan of teaching really well <laughs> and quality <laughs> first teaching. And I think... If we've got 20 kids in a class going out for interventions throughout the week, we have to look at whether we're doing it right when we taught it the first time. And I think if as leaders we invest time in actually making teaching better, uh, that's that's a fairly good idea. And I think I've I've really enjoyed this year in my role uh, at my school doing a a big focus on maths mastery in that respect. And it's just been nice just actually getting back to grips with what do we think of maths teaching looks like in in light of the mastery approach. And... um, that's where we've invested most of our time and energy and that's going to pay off gradually over time and it's going to pay off more and more as children filter through the school with those basics done well uh from the word go but that's that's playing that long long term again the other thing with um the uh kind of coverage thing steve do you do any sort of form in your school of like a bit of rotation where there's more of a focus of on one subject in one particular term and so on we're actually quite fortunate. I'm going to plug them here. We we use a cornerstones curriculum, which okay. in itself, when you make up your long-term plan for the year, you are covering uh, science in one term and then come back to it. It all jumbles up together. So you're doing a really broad curriculum across your music lessons, history, you're all focused on one overarching topic. So okay. that's what it's extremely helpful. But what we find is useful is to allow your subject leaders time to prep their part of the um, curriculum, be it science, making sure resources are fully stocked, etc., because that yeah. will then take the pressure off the teaching and the teacher responsibility to set up each lesson and therefore right. you get the best out of it. So it's so getting as much time. of the kind of practical um, yeah, elements definitely. sorted that teachers can just pick it up. And, and do they still modify it a bit and go with it and tweak of it? Of course, and, of course. Okay. And that's what we want, autonomy there. But you've got to remember how, t- how children learn at the end of the day. We're not just yeah. learning off a PowerPoint. And there are so many ways that it's ensuring there's time to allow for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, leadership's really key within that, isn't it? You spoke about mm. leadership, but I've got a really great phase leader who will... Um, who's responsible for curriculum and she really holds other subject leaders to account in a positive way in that, you know, are you sure that in all year groups they've got mapped out where they're going to cover your subject this year and they've kind of, she spends time with the different subject leaders, checking in with them and making sure they have got, they have kept an eye on that and kind of does a look each term to as to how many of the kind of objectives that have been covered. So I think leadership's key. You've got to have someone that is overseeing that and is happy to check in with people and give them advice for how to link things together together if possible i mean practically I think with that russell sorry to yeah, bite in. Go on. when you are a leader and you're overseeing something like the curriculum knowing that it's not a threatening action and that actually we're there just to ensure yeah um, coverage is being met but you don't need to do it with a, a you do it with a warm heart basically yeah well i don't know any teachers that want to be told in the summer term they haven't covered something i'm sure they'd much rather someone say in autumn too oh you know can i just check if you manage to get those objectives in this term oh no okay Mm. where can we fit that in next you know i'd rather have time to correct it than it all pile up and suddenly have this backlog of things i i've forgotten to cover or was meant to cover later in the year so that leadership exactly right, yeah exactly. And if you're listening and you haven't got a leadership team who's doing that that's where you need to have some conversations actually. definitely definitely mm. um 
and I think it's good if if that person is still class based where possible because I think then they, yes. they they're kind of respected in that they are doing it themselves as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think English lends itself to lots of topic work, doesn't it? And I think if you can yeah. get a lot of your topic kind of content and information in through the literacy, that works really well. I know loads of people do that anyway, but if you're not doing that, it might be something worth looking at. Exactly, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, and then finally that kind of rotation element, but you touched on it with the curriculum your school covers, but you know, you're mm. not going to be able to give everything full whack energy constantly. I read something on Twitter recently criticizing the blocking approach in terms of its ability for long-term memory. If you're, oh, yeah. if you're just doing a day of, of this, it sounds great, but actually you have to look at whether long-term memory-wise is the information stuck in the child's head, is it is just doing a sudden day of that and then leaving it for three months a useful strategy. It's just worth being critical of any of and thinking, you know, uh, d- does that work or not? Steve, I think we should end by saying what our biggest concerns are going into the year. Ahead. Uh, one word, Russell, begins in O. <laughs> Ofsted. We are, we are due, we are due, yeah. So they'll be coming soon. And I think the importance for me is to make sure that yeah, we're on our A game and we can show what a good school we are. Yeah. But at the same time, it's keeping that morale up. I, I don't want to use the word Ofsted when we go back for instant no. day tomorrow. And I don't want to put pressure on people with Ofsted. Let's just do our thing, get through it and know that what we are doing is actually having a great impact on these children. I think so, Stephen. I think just stay rooted in your passion and your mm. conviction for why you're doing what you're you're doing. And I think I think that's a positive approach. Um, yeah. How about you? Oh, for me, I'm I'm really really loving my job. But I think for me, it's knowing it's hmm, it's checking and being sure that the things that I've either bought in or I've bought in collectively with the team around me is having the impact and it's keeping an eye on that and not doing that in a way that feels like over the top monitoring but actually is positive warm challenge like you were talking about earlier Um, Mm -hmm. and you know I know in my head that some of the things I've brought in I know if done well by everyone it will have the effects that I, I desire and I think one of the key bits for us or challenges for us all as leaders is actually making sure one it's happened it's happening the way we think it's happening and it is starting to come to fruition in in something so for me i i think my my school and our team are on the right lines but we've just got to keep an eye on 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 the impact there and and that warm challenge i think is a good expression for for what we need to make sure we've absolutely good luck to you mate thanks going back to school whether it's tomorrow Friday or Monday, mm. 100% normal to feel anxious and uh, have mm. a little bit of nerves in your belly and yeah. not get the best night of sleep for the day before you go in. It's absolutely normal. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think with the massive focus on well-being online, you it can have a negative effect in that people can think if you're not feeling positive, you're doing something wrong. And what yes. I've really learned um, with regards to well-being is that emotions they come and go and you can't stop them coming and going. You can't stop anxiety, anxious thoughts coming to your head, insecure thoughts coming into your head, but you can change the way you react to those things. So for example, I've learned to become really distrustful of negative thoughts. I've learned to think, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'm a bit tired. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe I'm just a bit insecure today. And actually I've found that really liberating because it's made me change my mindset from feeling like the world's being done to me all the time, which is easy to happen in our profession to actually realizing that 
I, I experience this world in one way and one way only, and that is from the inside out. And um, mm. actually, once you realise that and you you get in touch with your well-being, you will uh, you'll just navigate through life with a little bit more ease. It won't be perfect all the time, but you'll just navigate through a bit more ease. And if you're interested in all that stuff, do listen to our second podcast on well-being yes. with students three. Yeah, um, guys, happy new year! Have an amazing start to the term, and we are always here online to support any of our followers that want to get in touch. So, have a great new year, and uh, bye from us for now. Goodbye, everyone. Don't keep the deputy.